Welcome to the Made for Hope podcast. I'm Sarah R. Ward. Today's show is all about building your marriage. We're going to talk about marriage tips, what we do when we encounter obstacles, and how to keep the romance alive. It's a great show. Stay tuned. I'm joined by my co-host, Katie Epling. Katie, you just told me that you're celebrating your 20th wedding anniversary. So congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Right around the time that everybody's listening to this, we got married just a couple days after Valentine's Day. So this is the big two zero for us. That's awesome. And what a great time to get married right around Valentine's Day. So today we're going to be talking about romance. And as you know, after like 20 years of marriage, well, you're just at that point. I'm at 23 years we have lived through many years of marriage and we've been given a lot of advice about marriage. So what For do you sure. think? Yeah, we probably <laughs> could share, share our own advice too. But I want to ask you, Katie, what is the best piece of marriage advice that you've received that you can remember? Because I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of marriage advice I can't remember, but <laughs> what's the one that or sticks out to you? Or something you'd rather not remember. Yes. Like, yeah, I think the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten is to always give each other the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And I love it. it. And I just think of, there was a time several years ago when I went and bought a new shower curtain for our bathroom. I was at Target and money was a little bit tight, but we needed it. And, you know, so I put it all up. And the next morning my husband got up and went in the bathroom and he said, oh, you got a new shower curtain. And in my mind, I heard, I cannot believe, you know, money's tight. You went and spent this money on a shower curtain and there's other things that we could have bought. And truly what he meant was, oh, you got a new shower curtain. <laughs> you know, he was just noticing. Um, but I think that giving each other the benefit of the doubt just says, okay, I'm going to choose to believe the best thing about you because I love you. You are the person yeah. I love the most. And then, so instead of just assuming that you mean, you know, and having this this argument with with you in my head where I think that you mean these other things. Yeah. I'm going to choose to believe the best thing and, you know, um, move forward with that assumption. That's amazing, Katie. I love that advice. I think I've just learned that the hard way through these years. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it's so, so helpful. It's really um, saved us some, some arguments. And, you know, I, I know for myself, I can really kind of, tend to go the other direction with people and really make assumptions about their tone and the things that they didn't say or things yeah. like that. So what about you, Sarah? What's the best advice you've gotten? Well, I've gotten a lot of good advice over the years, but one thing that has stuck with me, and I don't even remember who told me this, but hmm. it's so simple, not complex at all, but just be intentional in scheduling time together. And yeah. to be honest, I feel like when I got married in my young 20s, I thought that love was about being spontaneous and just having fun, you know, right. whenever you felt like it. And maybe that's what it was for me then. But then, you know, you start to have all these responsibilities and you have children and you have work and you're tired and the schedule just fills up so fast that you have to be intentional about, about making time with your spouse. Otherwise, it just kind of falls to the wayside. We Absolutely, put in yeah. those other 
rocks in first, if you've heard the metaphor of putting in the big rocks first. And so many times other things in our life go in first before marriage. And yet my husband's my best friend. Why wouldn't I put that rock in first, that relationship? And even if it's just a small amount of time, not even something like going out on a date, that's great too. But um, maybe it's just having a fun movie night in or getting carry out or just putting it on the calendar makes all the difference for me because what gets scheduled gets done. And I'm not trying to say that it's another thing I check off on my to-do list, but that's truly helpful for me to um, be intentional about scheduling it ahead of time. And it's something I have to constantly work oh, at. Oh, it too. is. It is. And, you know, you do. I think you just start. It comes so naturally at the beginning of a relationship. Um, and then yes. just life happens. Work and kids and commitments. And you think, well, this is the person who's always here. We, we live in the same house. And so it can be easy to take that for granted. But it's so important to be intentional there. I agree. And we're chatting with our guest, Laura Thomas, today, who's going to be talking to us about how she works on her marriage, how she keeps the romance alive in marriage. And what's fun is she's also a romantic suspense writer. So we'll talk to her a little bit about some of her favorite love stories for Valentine's Day. But we're really focusing in on keeping the romance alive in your marriage with Laura. I can't wait. Yes, me too. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're delighted to have you here today. Now, normally we work through three acts on this podcast. And since the topic is marriage today, our three parts are going to be a little different than normal. We're going to be talking about why we fall in love with the fairy tale image of love and why marriage isn't always a fairy tale. And then how we can nurture and strengthen our marriages. So let's jump into act one, the fairy tale. Laura, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us when we were young dreamed about marrying Prince Charming and living happily ever after. And when we read books with a great love story, we're reminded why we love the fairy tale storyline so much. Now, you're both a fiction and nonfiction author, but your fiction work includes some romance. So tell us what drew you to writing stories that include love. I am a hopeless romantic to start with. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I am. I'm just proud of it. Uh, I love the happily ever afters. Uh, I've always enjoyed reading love stories. um, And so for me, when I first started writing, I actually uh, wrote for children. Uh, Adults were (laughs) not on my radar, but um, very long story short, I ended up uh, really with a desire to write specifically Christian romantic suspense, uh, which has those three elements um, of faith and the intrigue of the suspense but the romance that runs all the way through it uh, to me it just warms my heart writing it <laughs> and I hope it, it warms the hearts of uh, readers as well but honestly an irresistible love story to me who doesn't love that really well I know as an author you love books too so mm-hmm. could you give us one or two books that had a great love story that you would go back and reread again and that you'd like to recommend to people in our audience. Mm, For sure. What a 
tricky question though. Oh, it is. <laughs> okay, so I did come up with two for you. Um, the first one is incredibly popular, Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. Yes. I'm sure lots of your listeners are familiar with this one. Um, it was actually published 20 years ago originally, which blows my mind because I, I, I can remember that. <laughs> uh, but it's a historical Christian fiction um, and it's set in the 1850s um, and it's based on the biblical story of Hosea and Goma. So uh, in Redeeming Love, there's a prostitute and a farmer, which sounds very unlikely, but um, it's, it's just a heart-wrenching, beautiful picture of uh, unconditional love at its finest, I would say, the pursuit of love, and just a glorious picture of God's love, actually. But um, just so happens that this year it's being made into a movie, which I'm super excited about. Uh, and so it's kind of had a little bit of a, a revival as well. Um, so I'm going to be rereading it this year. <laughs> so there we go. That's your first one, Redeeming Love. And the second one I chose was uh, The Waterkeeper by Charles Martin. And that was uh, just came out last year, actually, in 2020. And that one's a contemporary Christian fiction. Um, and again, a prolific author. But this was actually my first book by him that I've read. And um, I shouldn't say read because we actually listened to it. My husband and I both listened to it on a road trip. And we both thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's set in Florida. The uh, protagonist is a, a rescuer of women in peril. Um, and it's a story of redemption, selfless love, and it's fast paced action and adventure. It's just a tender, tender love story. Uh, thoroughly recommend it. And the next one in the series is coming out apparently this June. So mm. that was The Waterkeeper by Charles Martin. And uh, I thoroughly recommend listening to it as well, but I'm going to reread it and go back to before the next one comes out. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that one because I have not read any Charles Martin yet. Oh, I, you must. <laughs> I, I have heard that. You're not the first person to say that. And so I that will have to be one of my next books that I read. And one of my favorites also is Redeeming Love. And, you know, oh, yeah. I'm part of several Facebook groups, reading groups that are focused around like Christian fiction. And that book is always one of them mm -hmm. that makes like readers top 10, I think, because it combines, it's just well-written. Plus it just draws your heart in so well. She does a fabulous job. She does. And just as a little side note, I'm actually reading uh, A Path to Redeeming Love at the moment, which is a uh, like a daily devotional. And it's based on the book, but it's also, um, it sort of takes little different aspects of the book into a devotional. So again, I recommend that too. Like, yeah. That's a great resource. Thank <laughs> you so much for oh, recommending welcome. that. No so Laura, let's hear a little bit about your fairy tale beginning. Okay, so uh, this May, we will be celebrating our 33rd wedding anniversary, <laughs> which oh, I just feel so old when I say that. <laughs> but <laughs> 33 years is incredible. And uh, we've actually been together forever because I started dating him when I was 14 years old, and he was 15. <laughs> wow. That's I know. <laughs> Congratulations, though, for being together for that long. That's an accomplishment. It really yeah. is. 
we kind of grew up together as well, I suppose, in a lot of ways. And I think I honestly knew straight away, we both did straight away that we would end up getting married. Got married the day after my 20th birthday. Mm. And uh, yeah, there we go. The rest is history. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is really beautiful. So let's move into act two, where we talk about when the fairy tale meets reality because as you know marriage isn't always a fairy tale especially as the years go by you see how hard it can be and when you take two people who have their flaws and put them together it's hard so God designed marriage and it's a beautiful gift but because we're all broken it's not always easy so Laura tell me what were some of the challenges in your marriage and how have you learned to overcome those yeah, it's a really good question. Um, of course, we've had challenges, uh, but I will first of all just make the disclaimer that we've we although we've had challenges, I'm not going to pretend that we've ever had like giant horrific things that have happened. Like neither one of us have had affairs or any long term sickness or devastation. Like we've we've had seasons that have been very tough, but um, yeah. I would say, um, just to pick out a few, you know, in the early years, finances, like, mm. I think that's pretty general across the board, you know, those struggling early years when you're sort of uh, trying to make ends meet and everything, um, always a challenge. And uh, I think for us, it was being open and honest with each other. Um, mm. And I know we, we've, we've seen couples really struggle with this, where there's been um, secrecy and dishonesty and it never ends well. <laughs> so, I mean, my husband is a numbers guy. I am a letters girl. <laughs> so, so we, we now, we look back now and kind of half cringe and half laugh at his monthly finance meeting that he would call. <laughs> and I, I would sit through <laughs> grimacing somewhat, but we were always open and honest. And honestly, a sense of humor had has to happen in there somewhere too, when it comes to finances. And you know what, it's fun as well. Looking back, it was actually some of the funnest times was when we were, okay, we've got 20 bucks to get the groceries this mm. week or whatever. And, um, it was, it, it grew us for sure. So that was a challenge. Um, another challenge, which I know is a common one is once the kids come along, uh, time together for just the two of you, it's really, really hard. Yes. Um, yeah, we had three kids and, um, I think the way we um, overcame that challenge as best we could was to be creative mm -hmm. in making time together. Date night has always been a priority for us right from the beginning. And when we literally couldn't go out on a date night because we couldn't afford babysitters or there just wasn't, it wasn't available or whatever, we would just have our date nights in the house. Once the kids put the kids to bed early that's always my really good advice make sure they have a good bedtime <laughs> so you can have your your time together and we would we would create our, our date nights however we we could but it was it's always been a priority um and we've we've made it work somehow or other 
Um, and I think the third challenge for us has been our work. My husband's a businessman. He runs his own business. It can be all-consuming. Um, and, you know, I've seen many couples really struggle, especially when one has got a very demanding career. But at the beginning or right the way through, I think communication has been huge for us. Uh, we made the decision when we emigrated from England to Canada that uh, I wanted to stay home and raise our children. And I ended up homeschooling for 13 years. Um, and so that meant my husband had to work super hard, super long hours. But there was never that bitterness between us uh, because we always communicated are we still okay doing this? Do we need to make different decisions? Mm. Um, priorities, you know, how are we going to put our kids through university? We'll do this, this, and not this. Or, you know, communication, I think, was it was the, the main thing for us um, and making decisions together. How has your marriage changed your view of what it means to love someone unconditionally? Ooh, yes, like you said a little earlier, it's 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 two imperfect people, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it is. it's it's such a unique relationship. You won't have another relationship like this. I love a quote from Ruth Bell Graham, and she says, "A happy marriage is the union of two forgivers." Mm. And I mean, I, I just I like to think about that sometimes and go, "Yeah, it, it, you both got to be forgivers." because you're both going to mess up um, yeah. and you can't hold things over your, your spouse. First um, Corinthians 13, that really famous section on love, it says love keeps no record of wrongs. And I think that's a huge one. I think that should be highlighted yes. <laughs> in our Bibles there <laughs> because, um, you know, for bitterness to not creep in and to, to be able to be um, loving towards one another, even when our partner is not being very lovable or we're being very unlovable because it's it's seasons I, I just looking back on our marriage there have been times when my husband has needed me to be the rock and there's yeah. times when I've needed him to be the rock for yeah. sure um, but ultimately like as Christians we've had God as our ultimate rock <laughs> which yes. of course there's there's that's there's no comparison to that uh, but also knowing that, um, you know, him with God as our foundation, but then just having this unconditional love with one another and just being able to rest in that. Like there's, there's such rest knowing that I haven't got to be perfect for my man <laughs> because it's not going to happen. <laughs> and just, right. uh, yeah, we're naturally self-centered and um, being married is, is it's, yeah, it's a continually growing experience. Uh, but uh, the end game and the end goal, I think, has to be selfless love. Let's move on to Act 3. Because in Act 3, we're talking about keeping your marriage strong and how we can build up our marriages. Now, Katie and I talked about this before the show. But what's the best marriage advice that you've been given? When uh, my husband and I came home from our honeymoon, uh, bear in mind, we were 20 and 21, and we looked kind of like 
13 year olds and um we'd come we were we went to cyprus on our honeymoon and we came back all brown and, and giddy and we actually were at a conference uh so when we were living in south wales and the speaker was josh mcdowell who is um, an american author speaker apologist and we were quite excited to go to this big conference because he'd come all the way to to our little um town where we lived and uh after the conference people got the chance to go and meet him. So, you know, we were like, whoa, this is exciting. So we went as a little couple hand in hand to, to go sort of thank him for, for coming and sharing with us. And uh, he took one look at us and said, yeah, you come from some, we were in Wales. It was, it's very rainy. So he, he's like, you've come from somewhere. <laughs> Where have you guys just been? Because we were all bronzed and tanned. And he said, oh, we've actually just uh, come home from our honeymoon in Cyprus. And so he, he said, can I give you guys some marriage advice? And we were like, absolutely, bring it on. And he, he said, never come off your honeymoon, kids. Hmm. And we were like, okay. And he said, he went on just to say that he and his wife had been married for, for decades, but they'd never come off their honeymoon. They'd never uh, stopped having that, not the fairy tale romance we're talking about, but just that, that glow for one another, that attraction, that, that, yeah, that romance, romance is important in a, in a marriage, you know, it doesn't stop when you come home from the honeymoon and it takes some work, um, intentionally to, to build that into your every day. Yeah. But, but always having that thought of, yeah, we don't want to come off our honeymoon. We always want to be infatuated as well as, you know, having the solid, rock-solid love that, you know, goes through the hard times, but we still want to have that butterflies honeymoon as well kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, we've always remembered that. We talk about it often, and I'm often asked it as well. We do uh, pre-marriage uh, mentoring and, and alpha marriage courses and such. So it comes up quite a lot. I don't know. I'd like to look nice for my husband and for him to appreciate that and for us to go on a date, even if it's to a coffee shop, but just to look at each other's eyes and have eyes only for one another, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that actually put the intentional hard work in, but don't come off your honeymoon. I love that. I think there's a lot there to unpack now, you have a nonfiction book about marriage, too, called Pearls for the Bride. And it, it just sounds like it's perfect for today's show. It's practical tips for newlyweds in the form of a letter from a mother of the bride to her daughter. And I wanted to read something you wrote from the book that was so powerful and have you talk about this. Your marriage is a partnership, not a one-upmanship. Be countercultural and hold your husband in high esteem. Let others know you love and respect him. Your actions will speak volumes, but your words go a really long way too. Give him words of encouragement and affirmation. Let him know you're in his corner always. And before you go thinking, I'm asking you to be an old-fashioned apron-wearing doormat, let me assure you that when you stand by your man, you are being strong and he will love you all the more for it. It's a great quote from that book, <laughs> by the Thank way. You. Thanks I love so it. much. So what do you mean by holding your husband in high esteem? And tell us a little bit about how you think this changes marriages. 
I think for me, when we first got married, um, I, I this wasn't kind of on my radar very much. And it took me a while as I noticed other couples um, and on TV, on sitcom, sitcoms that um, quite often men are really talked down to in, in quite a degrading way. Um, they're always sort of uh, portrayed as maybe a little bit kind of thoughtless, oafish. Um, I don't know. I just started noticing that, wow, this is not, if I was a guy, I don't think I'd be loving this very much. <laughs> and, and actually noticing it in real life, other couples, we were both finding that we would feel awkward if we were with a couple who were, um, you know, maybe the wife was putting the husband down um, either, either in a sarcastic way or sometimes just in a, in a kind of mean way. Um, it, it was kind of hurting, hurting me. And I'm thinking, man, that guy must be really feeling it. And so, um, yeah, I, I was, I, I became aware, I think fairly early on that I didn't want to ever do that to my husband. Mm. Um, and we spoke about it quite a bit as well. And I, I, it comes down to respect for sure. Um, and I'm really aware that it works both ways. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to respect your husband when he's, if he's being like awful to you, then of course you need to get help here. <laughs> but um, again, not being a doormat or anything, but just having that respect and, and building him up. Like if we're out and I can, with friends and I can say something great about my husband, what he's just done or what he's, you know, how his business is going or what he's just said or what he just did for the kids or whatever it might be. I can almost see it in his eyes that he's kind of, it makes his day. Mm. And it's, it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much. But then, you know, like I say, it also doesn't take much to really tear him down also. Um, and I just don't want to be that. I don't want to be that wife. It's it's not a good look on anyone. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and you know, we we can both be successful in our spheres of of work, or we can both be, you know, the life and soul of the party. We can both be confident. It hasn't got to be one-upmanship uh, in that way. We it's a partnership very much in a marriage. Um, and so that respect definitely has to work both ways. But I really believe that if, you know, as the wife, if you can hold him in high esteem and just make that effort to encourage him and build him up and affirm him, that, you know, it'll come back to you. If, if it's not already, he, he will want to reciprocate. Um, and, and the hope is that that would become something beautiful and something mutual between you. Mm. That's so well said, Laura. Final question for our show. Do you have any other practical advice on how we can keep our marriages strong? Uh, number one, communication. We all know this. Yes. <laughs> We've heard it a hundred times, but honestly, maybe it's harder today than ever before with all our distractions of our phone and, and work that comes in all hours, not just between the nine to five. And um, communication between the two of you is huge. And um, I was just thinking about this last night. And I, I think when we first got married, we made the decision that we wanted to eat dinner together at a table, which might not sound very much, but I didn't grow up doing that. But my husband did. And I love that mm. what he did with his family. You know, they came together every evening and just sat around the table to eat. 
And so we decided we would do that. Um, and so right from the beginning, you know, even when we had um, picky eaters, tantrum toddlers and <laughs> moody teens all the way through, <laughs> and we, we always had our evening meal together around the table because it was where we would actually talk the TV wasn't on, we, you know, sometimes it wasn't great conversation, but it was, if somebody wanted to say something, that was the platform, you know, we, yeah. we were there, we were there. And now that we're empty nesters, we've, it's not weird that we sit together at the table and have dinner. That's kind of what we've always done. And so now it's a really special time where we actually get to some deep conversations or just catching up on the day. But regardless, communication is key and if that means just setting aside um time before you go to bed or sometimes that you're tired right <laughs> first thing in the morning I'm not a great morning person my husband is so for us <laughs> dinner time is just like a great communication time as I mentioned before date night in all seasons of life and yeah. I think you know don't think that you'll have lots of time later on because um I think preparing for the empty nest is huge and it needs to start right when you've got kids just mm. so that you're still making that connection you're still making each other a priority um it's because honestly when you suddenly have no kids left in the home if the home's really big and it's just the two of you <laughs> so you, you better really like your husband <laughs> so not to interrupt but would you say then like dating is one of the key ways that you prepare for being an empty nester or are there yeah. other ways too oh sure there are other ways for sure but yeah we we were quite intentional about this um I mean, our kids kind of left home in the space of 10 years gradually, mm. um, off, went off to school, but uh, so we could do it. We, were so, we saw it come in. It wasn't like, <laughs> you know, a surprise. Yeah. Uh, so we started, yeah, or, you know, yeah, definitely making date nights a priority. We started snowshoeing together. We did ballroom dancing for a while together, walking, just, just getting... Um, just different things that we we could have in common so that it wouldn't be weird when it was just the two of us again. You kind of have to almost roll back to pre-kid days and go, what do we love doing? Can you even remember? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I get all through the season, dating, dating, dating. And the last one, um, invest in your marriage. Yeah. Um, you know, it's great. I thoroughly recommend doing uh, pre-marriage mentoring uh, before you get married. Uh, but don't just think, okay, we're done and dusted. That's that's as good for the next 50 years because, oh, goodness me, so many different things are thrown at you along the way. Um, there are some great books, some great courses. Invest in doing, yeah, like we do the alpha marriage, which I thoroughly recommend. Um, but also invest in other couples who love being married, which sounds really weird to say, but we've surrounded ourselves with couples who actually love being married. And um, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Older couples or even couples the same age as you, uh, just to encourage one another. Um, and all that, I, to say, all that I think is an investment in your marriage for sure. Thanks to my guest, Laura Thomas, for coming on the show. You can find Laura's books at laurathomasauthor.com, and there'll be links in the show notes to find all of Laura's books. So check those out. 
Also, if you're looking for a sweet love story, some of you know that I took on a pen name of Grace Worthington in December and wrote my first novella. It's a sweet little romance book that's a lot like a Hallmark Christmas movie. You can find that link in the show notes and stay tuned for the first book in the series, which will be on sale on Amazon this spring. To find all our resources and books for both Katie and I, check out the show notes and connect with us today. 